Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 3 of Fried the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all and lived to tell the tale, sharing expert tips from the best of the best in the burnout and stress management fields, and sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes full of my own expertise plus actionable steps to help you end your own burnout cycle starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and need more personalized guidance, I'm here for you. In every episode, you'll find a link to book a free breakthrough burnout call. You can find it easily by heading to bit.ly forward slash call Kate or finding the link in the show notes. This free call helps us decide if one-on-one coaching is perfect for you. If it is, we'll get started. If it isn't, I might suggest one of my immediately available online courses, my book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, or some sessions with a colleague who's better suited to exactly what you need right now. Also, if you happen to be in New York City, I'd love to see you as a patient. I'm a licensed acupuncturist with over 13 years of international experience, and right now my office is located in Midtown Manhattan. I focus on, you guessed it, burnout. I help your body build up a natural stress resilience to fight off all those pesky symptoms that come alongside burnout. You can find all the deets on that at katedonovanacupuncture.com. Hello, Fried fans. Today, I have a very special, fun treat for you because I am talking to Jeff Harry, and Jeff Harry combines positive psychology and play to help teams and organizations navigate difficult conversations and assist individuals in addressing their biggest challenges through embracing a play-oriented approach to work. We are going to have fun. We're talking about play. Topics he covers, including how to deal with toxicity in the workplace, and everyone in this podcast needs to talk about that, how to address office politics, how to play with your inner critic. We're going to play with your inner critic. I like that. How to help your staff rediscover their flow and how to navigate these uncertain times through play. Jeff was selected by Bamboo HR and engagedly as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2020. His work was most recently featured in the New York Times, Mashable and Upworthy. Jeff, welcome to the show. What's up? I'm excited to have some fun on on Friday. We're going to start with your burnout story like we always do. Yeah. We'll have fun maybe during and maybe after that. And, you know, Friday can get a little serious. So I'm I'm excited to inject a little bit of enjoyment into it. I laugh during every episode at some point, but, you know. Nice. (laughs) So if you'd like to take the stage and share your story, we can start there. Sure, Yes. So my story starts around the Obama campaign back in, I guess I joined it in 2007, something like that. He had just, I was in San Diego. I I was living in Oakland, but I was in San Diego, you know, and he had just, I think, won the New Hampshire primary. And I was like, oh, dude, this guy could actually do this thing. But still, he was like, no one believed he actually could really pull it off. So then I just went all in on the campaign and, and I loved it. I mean, so so many of my friends from that time came from there. And there was even something known as the Obama Widows, where a lot of, and you, you probably, you've heard of this, right? A lot of people like got divorced right after the campaign and all this stuff. That even happened with me, with someone that I was with for over a decade. But that wasn't even the burnout part. The burnout part was... So he gets elected. We're so excited. You know, I go back to my job, you know, 
playing with Lego at the time. Um, and then they, someone um, from the campaign asked me to work for what was going to be the like outgrowth of the campaign. It was going to be called Organizing for America. It was Obama's like outreach arm to help him like push the agenda, especially to get healthcare passed. And I was like, yeah, of course, like I want to work on healthcare and then education and then all these things. And I'm like, this is super cool, you know, and I was going to be like a regional field director, which is like a fancy title for like someone that was organizing all over the Bay Area. I'd be traveling all all the way down to Santa Cruz and all the way up to like Tracy, like just organizing volunteers to help, you know, push his agenda and also connecting with a lot of um, politicians. Um and then, <laughs> and then I started getting paid. And when you get paid, it's totally different from when you're volunteering. Because when you're volunteering, you just can bounce at any time. You're like, I don't want to do this, so I'm just not going to do this. But then I was getting paid like it was such a joke of amount of money. It was like maybe twenty six thousand or thirty thousand dollars, but whatever. It was so little. And then we had to front so much of the money for like events. For like, you know, I remember dropping like thousands of dollars, feeding our volunteers, taking them out to dinner, all of the gas that we spent, like traveling back and forth. Um, and sometimes I would like almost fall asleep on the road. Like I remember a few times going to visit of volunteers because you have to like give FaceTime to people. And I would drive back to my house and then I would park in my car and my my apartment's like a block away and I'd fall asleep in my car yeah. until like two, 3 AM when someone would knock on my door and be like, Hey, you okay, you have any money? <laughs> like, hey, what are you doing in there? Or one of my friends would be like, what are you doing in there? I'm like, Oh God. So I, I don't, and I remember there was one time where I fell asleep right near my parking lot at the stoplight. And then I woke back up and then the stoplight had turned back to red and it was like one or 2 AM. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? And then I recently saw this quote, which I really love about burnout. Burnout at its deepest level is the sum of a total of a hundred and thousands of tiny betrayals of purpose. Um, and that happened during the campaign because, or not the campaign, because, but it was like, we were constantly being told that everything was immediate and like, we have to put out this fire and you have to talk to this volunteer and you have to talk to this politician. And this was like when the tea party was showing up and mm -hmm. we had to bring a lot of volunteers down to like various places to protect the politicians there. And, and then we would bring them down and then the press would not focus on us. They would focus on the tea partiers. So it's just like, it was so freaking exhausting. And then on top of that, the leader of us at the time just was a really bad leader. Just mm. so bad. So every time, like, there were such small betrayals of trust each time they asked me to do something that I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Why do I have to do that? This kind of seems a little dumb. Like I remember once we had to organize a photo op because it was Obama's birthday and we all had to get in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. So I had to bring all these people. And I was like, we're doing this all to just get in front of the bridge. I was like, this seems like a lot of effort for a little bit. It's just a lot of effort, just so much effort. Um, and then eventually, you know, and this is a long time ago, so who cares now what happened, but like three out of four of like the top people we all like wrote a letter and then quit as a group because wow. we were just done. 
we were just done with it. And I think partly because one leader left and then another leader came in and that leader was not someone that like, basically we were trying to win the, I think 2010 election. And in California it was all about like bringing out more people of color to the polls yeah. and the person that they picked did not understand how to go about doing that. And it was mm -hmm. a, it was just like the final straw of betrayal of trust for us because we were like, are we trying to win this thing? Or are we not trying to win this thing? Are we really yeah. in this or not? Um, and that, and that all those betrayals, man. And I feel this is why I talk a lot about play is I feel like everyone's already playing at work, meaning they're showing up and being a certain character, right? I'm a senior manager. I know what I'm talking about, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's just like, it's exhausting when you have to carry, carry that. That's why Wear we burn out is because yeah. we're being somebody else, you know? And I'm just like, I'm just tired of that BS. So that is how I eventually quit in a dramatic way and wrote this like Jerry Maguire letter. And then I was like, I'm out of here. And then they didn't care. They were like, whatever, we're just going to hire someone else. You know, isn't that the way it happens? And this is a really big thing because a lot of people that burn out get to that point because they enhance their own ego. And I don't even mean that in a bad way, but their ego relies on them having this position and they feel like, well, I'm so important. If I'm not here, things will fall apart. If I don't right. serve all these people, everything will be terrible. If I'm not right. doing this job, you know, they'll have to hire three people to cover me because right. I do all these amazing things. And then what happens is you go and it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hurt. It hurts. Especially yeah. when you've been like at a job for 10, 15 years, like you devoted yeah. your life to it. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, they we're just move on. Let, yeah. We're just letting it go. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and it, and then and that can be devastating. Um, and my friend, Angie Cole talks a lot about this of like, you know, so many people attach their self-worth to their productivity. Exactly. And then when that was taken away in 2020, so many people were having like, you know, crises yeah. because they were like, well, what, how do I define myself? Who am and, I without and, this? Yeah. Without this. And, in, and this is just in America because you go to other countries, man, like when you're in Brazil, nobody asked me what I do for a living. Nobody. Okay. So it's, but it's crazy here how we're like, what do you do? Well, I want to, how, you know, oh, how much do you make? But they don't ask that, but they're asking that because like, that's how. That's how we value that's each other. Yeah. That's how we assign value. Yeah. Which I'm so whole hoping post pandemic, we bring a certain level of shared humanity. And that is not the first question we ask. Right. Out of this. I really hope that. Yeah. I mean, I've lived all over the world and people ask that question everywhere. I mean, they might not ask it in Brazil, but they, they, people ask that question. And I think sometimes there's a certain maliciousness to it because you are asking really, how much do you make? Are you important? Do you have yeah. value? And yeah. sometimes it's just a way to start a conversation. It's just yeah. like, oh, what do you do? You know, and yeah. I love when people ask me what I do because I do really cool things and I right. want to talk right. about them. Right. Right. So, right. so that's one thing. And another thing is, you know, I, I got the lesson that I wasn't all that important really early. So I used to bartend in San Diego when I was doing, when I was finishing my master's degree, I was bartending where, in San where, Diego. Where in San Diego? I know the place quite well. Plum Crazy on Garnet. It's oh, not open anymore. Wait, 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 so we're talking about like North Park? We're No, no, Pacific Beach. 
Oh, Pacific. Oh, PB. Oh, goodness. Oh, hello. Yes. So I used to bartend in PB way back when this was, I'm thinking, oh, God, 2007 was my last year. Wow, I was there. That was, oh, my goodness. I was there at that time. So I spent I spent four years there, almost five years doing my master's degree. And um, and I had a boss at the time who is a good friend of mine still. And it was one of those bars that the people really like stuck up for one another. We were there for one another. We were we were a big family one on vacations together. It was a really tight knit community. And one day I was kind of like, you know, bitching about something or another. And the manager looked at me and he was like, you can go whenever you want. Everybody's replaceable. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, you thought you built a family, right? You were yeah. like, family, there's no way. Right. Yeah. We're all necessary here. And he was just like, not really like NBD. There's lots of bartenders in this town, you know? And then when I went to, when I moved to Poland and started my acupuncture practice, I wanted to be irreplaceable to my patients. I wanted to be the person who supported every aspect of their health. I wanted to be their nutritionist, their therapist, their everything. And because that's how I thought I was going to prove my value. I thought that I was charging a decent amount, which I was, but also was not extreme. And I felt like for that amount, I need to now give 400% of what you came in here asking for so that you know that it's worth it. And there is a, there's good business practice in there, but there are limits and boundaries that I just didn't draw because I was like, I'll just give you everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and, and also it's, it's, I was, it was funny. I was just having this conversation uh, because with two positive psychology people, and we were basically saying to each other because we were like, Oh, I'm worried about sharing this thing or putting this out in the world. And then after a while we were like, Oh, it's like, it's not about us. Like yeah. as, as important as it is to get the message out. And uh, Elizabeth Gilbert talks a lot about this, which I really appreciate. You know, she talks about how like genius visits you, right? And yeah. you either channel it and put it out or, or you let it go. Mm-hmm. It goes to somebody else. Yeah. And, and don't be angry when it goes to somebody else because it needed to come out in the world. But I think a lot of times when our ego takes over, we're like, if I don't share this. Yeah. It's so, my genius. It's my genius. And let me hoard it. And then when I put it out in the world, then we're like, see everyone, does everyone love it? And then people don't react the way we react. We want them to react. We're like, what? what's wrong I just wrong did this you? really amazing thing and no one is caring about it. I know. Rude. I built this field of dreams. Where is everybody? Everyone should be coming like Kevin Costner. Where is everybody? I you built know? it. I built it. And it's yeah. just when, and now, because, you know, like you said, you watch some of my ridiculous videos. Now when I make videos, I forget that I've made them. Yeah. And then like the other day, some guy or just recently, someone was like, Hey man, I heard, I heard you on this like podcast and it was great. And I was like, Oh, I don't I even remember that doing that. Yeah. I remember that. But it's just, I, that's why I really love, I don't know if it's wh- which type of monks it is, the ones that do the sand Art. Oh yeah, Tibetan. Mm. Yeah, Tibetan monks. Man, work on something for a month and then you put it out and it gets blown away in five seconds. Like that is humbling. Sometimes that. it's a lot longer than a month. Yeah, sometimes like six. Oh my! They God. do that for a long time. That so I want to. I mean, I'm, I want to get to that point where I'm making stuff and then being like, sweet, it's out of the world. It's and a lot of times when I do that and I make it. 
And I'm like, now it's out in the world. It, I don't even consider it me anymore. Yeah. It's just, it's out there. And then yeah. however people want to comment on it, because I've had, I've had videos that have gone viral that, that I think are really stupid. Yeah. And then I've had videos that I love and no one cares about them. Same you with know? the podcast. Yeah. When and I then, write about the podcast, I use we a lot. And in my mind, I was using we because it's it's half the time it's me and a guest. So it's not this is not me just creating this thing. It's me and and you right now creating this thing. It's you know, it's not just mine. And but I realized after writing it for over a year, just saying we, 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 it's because I don't think that this podcast belongs to me. Right. This does not belong to me. This belongs to the listeners. This is, this is, I need to get this out because if I do not, I will explode. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like you're like, you, you need to channel this. Like yeah. right now, this is the purpose, you know? Okay. But we're going to, I'm going to back up for a second because I want to touch on something that we started in your bio and something that's coming up with, with this sort of area. So we get attached to the things we create, right? And mm-hmm. we want, you know, internet, like intellectual property rights and we don't, where we get mad when people copy us and where, you know, there's all this stuff going on. But, and there is this moment where, especially in online business, you create stuff, but it doesn't always mean anything right away. Like it takes, oh. it takes some time to build yeah. a following, to get clients and, and all of this stuff. So you said in the bio you wrote, or somebody wrote, whoever wrote your bio, you know, whatever. You wrote that to to play with your inner critic because this is one of those moments where the inner critic comes out a lot. You're like, well, I'm yeah. I'm putting out this stuff that I think is so important, and people are not responding. Like, do I suck? Am I doing it wrong? Do I have a block? Yeah. What's wrong? Like, what's wrong with me, basically? Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about playing with your inner critic. When you say that, when you write that. What are you thinking about? What are you imagining? What's the process? Yeah, so let's break down. And let's break it down. That your people can use right after this. I do this as a, as a workshop. So first cool. off, we have to understand what the inner critic is, right? It's your rational mind. Your inner critic lies in your prefrontal cortex and your rational mind is there to keep you alive. That's it. It's there to keep you alive. So why do we go to it and be like, hey, should I take this risk? Because guess what? Your rational mind's going to be like, no, you should binge watch Netflix and stay under your duvet for the rest of your life. You know, because you have your rational mind and then you have your intuitive mind. And we have to identify which one we're actually asking. Right. So here's a technique that I learned partly from my friend, Marsha Shandor, who's amazing, by the way. Um, And she taught me like, all right, you know, we need to actually identify who this inner critic is. So when your inner critic shows up, you'll know because you'll feel like crap. And maybe you're binge watching Netflix, you're eating Cheetos and cake. And guess what? It's been there for a while and it's whispering to you like, you're so lazy. You're going to eat another Cheeto. Oh my gosh. You're going to watch another Netflix episode. I can't believe this is the eighth one. You're horrible. You're just a horrible person. Netflix has officially asked you if you still want to continue. Yeah, exactly. It's asking you like, that's, that's where we're at, right? It's 2am. It's 4am. It's 6am. You know, right? (laughs) So my recommendation when your inner critic has shown up because it's been there for a while is let's first practice awareness. So write it down. Like at that very moment, either get your phone out or write it on a piece of paper, start writing down exactly what it's saying to you. Oh, you suck. You're lazy. Oh, your business is never going to be successful. No one loves you. You're not enough. Just write, start writing some of this stuff down. 
And, and here's the first reason why it makes you aware. So you're starting to practice, you know, strengthening that awareness muscle. But then also as you write it down, and I learned this from Byron Katie, it's just like, you start to look at the list and you're like, is that true? Is that always true? If that's not true, why is that true? You know, and you're just sort of like, okay. So the first thing, write it down. And then as you're writing it down, start asking yourself, what does that inner critic sound like? And then what does that inner critic like look like? Is it a bully from third grade? Is it my aunt and uncle that would shit on me all the time? Is it, you know, like, who is it? Is it a cartoon character? And then this is the powerful part is then you name your inner critic and name it not like someone you know, like not like your mom or your dad or someone that actually exists, but name it as a character, right? So mine is Gargamel from the Smurfs, okay? <laughs> because Gargamel sucks the joy in life ever, everything. And Gargamel's like, you suck. No one cares about you. No one's listening to you. You're not enough, you know? And then I can turn to Gargamel and be like, actually, I'm surrounded by people that love me, Gargamel. Actually, I do feel like enough. Actually, my business is really doing well. And when you actually respond to it, you're, you're then separating it from you you're recognizing that it's probably like your third grade you or that hurt inner child you. And then you're also acknowledging like, hey, I appreciate that you're, you're, you know, you're trying to protect me. But right now you're going to sit in the backseat. You're not going to drive the car. And then another technique I do with Gargamel is I'll text my best friend Dana and I'll be like, hey, Gargamel's saying these things to me right now. And simply texting somebody else, she doesn't even need to write me back. But texting, again, quiets Gargamel down. It quiets your inner critic down. And then the best thing, which I kind of came up with on the fly, is then you go back to the same list of inner critic thoughts, and then you flip them. So you change them all and be like, you know, I'm not enough. I am enough. My business is not going to do well. My business is going to do amazing. No one loves me. I'm surrounded by people that love me. And then you start to make all those. And then that becomes your inner child mantra. And then the more you start repeating that to yourself, the more you start to hear your inner child, because it's usually a whisper, and the quieter your inner critic actually becomes. And the more you can just do this technique of being aware and being like, oh, who's talking right now? Oh, thank you, Gargamel. And then you keep going. It's when we, it's when Gargamel shows up and you think it's you. And there's, and guess what? Because of when I ran this as an actual workshop with a lot of people, you know, I remember one person being like, I have five inner critics. I have a board <laughs> of directors. And it's true. It's like, it's insidious. You have your superficial ones and then you have like your deep seated ones. So you have to identify that. And in my workshop, I actually have people act out their, their inner critic, their Gargamel, just to see how absurd it is of what it's saying to you. And when you're do this once, write those inner critic thoughts down, contact your best friend and read them out to them. And as you're reading it out, you're going to be like, who in the world is this person? Why are you so mean right now? You know, because we say that all the time. Why, why are we like, we would never be best friends with ourselves because this person is so mean to us. So the more you can just play with it with compassion and empathy, the more you can actually navigate that inner critic and realize it's not you. Yeah. So Martha Beck, you know, Martha Beck. No, she's a life coach that wrote for uh, Oprah magazine for de over a decade. And I cut out one of her articles like in 2009 and I still have it like that. This is she's she's that good. Wow. And she talks about having a jury. 
right? So the inner critics, the jury. So she talks about having a jury and identifying who's on the jury. And, you know, I did that exercise once and I realized that one of the people on the jury was somebody that I was never really friends with that I went to middle school with. Uh-huh. Like, I don't even, we don't even know each other as adults. I have no, but he called me ugly once and it just stuck. Wait, what is his name? Not his real name, but what would you call him? Ass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ass is talking to me right now. Hello. How you doing? Ass? It's good to see you. No, because some of my clients have like frugal Frank, Tila Tequila, you know, yeah. like terrible Susan. And you're just like, oh, how's terrible Susan today? <laughs> and, and as soon as you hear like, oh, here comes ass, you're like, oh, God, ass is speaking again. Yeah, yeah, right. Fun. It's hilarious because yeah. you're like. You're like, dude, you're probably still lonely. You know, you're probably buying Bud well, Light. And even if Oscar. you're not, like, I hope that you're amazing. <laughs> I hope you're amazing. I don't have, I don't even know you. Like it, you, who you are and what you do is irrelevant. Right. I'm still reacting to your energy from, th- you know, 30 years ago. 30 like years ago, that's, right? that's, it's a totally different thing. So I'm okay with that. So we talk a lot on Pride about, <clears throat> excuse me. On Friday, we talk a lot about resentment journals. So I have people do resentment journals instead of gratitude journals when they're burnt out, because when you're burnt out, your hemispheres, your left and right hemispheres are not communicating properly. Your prefrontal cortex is shrunken. Your amygdala is bigger. Your hippocampus is smaller, right? Your brain is just not functioning the way it should. So you don't really have the ability to engender the feelings that go along with gratitude in order to get the usefulness out of it. Right. So if you're just writing stuff and you're like, yeah, this is all nonsense. It doesn't actually work. Right. But people do get caught up. And so this is the same as starting and write down what your inner critic is saying. People get really caught up in, am I being, I'm I'm afraid to be negative. I don't want to focus on that because I'm afraid that it's negative. And if I focus on the negative then, and I don't believe in that, but I want you to dig into that a little bit from your perspective with your education and your background, because there are people that have studied positive psychology that I can't listen to because I'm like, listen, real life still happens. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, toxic positivity is the worst. It's delusional, you know, and, and, we have to understand. So, you know, my my background, you know, studying positive psychology is Marty Martin Seligman, you know, created this around the you know around the 1980s, and the main reason he did this was specifically because psychology up until that point had only studied what was wrong with people. Right. So, what positive psychology is is just simply studying what's right with people and recognizing that other people matter. Like that's the overall arching. It, but it also was about accepting all of the emotions that are happening mm. and, and having you feel the full emotion instead of denying that. Because when you're denying it, you're actually denying a part of how you should be living, right? Because like when you feel sadness, then you can actually let it go. When you feel anger, let then you can let it go. But if you're blocking it out with this feigned po- toxic positivity, which that, you know, he definitely does not teach and a lot of people don't teach. I think that is where we're being sold. And I see this a ton on Clubhouse, right? We're being sold this um, idea that you have to be perfect all the time. You have to always be posting, you know, um, uh, uh, what is that? Uh, Inspirational quotes on your Instagram. And this is the huge reason why Instagram is dying in many ways, because people are tired 
of the fakeness and people, yeah. and, you know, and we've even, I even made a video recently in Clubhouse about like toxic positivity on Clubhouse where people are like, oh my gosh, this is the best room ever. I've never been in such an amazing room. My life has changed because of it. And you're like, really? I heard you in the other room. You just said that in the last room. So now I don't know what to believe because you're saying this all the time. So we really have to ask ourselves like what, how are we actually allowing every emotion in? And talking specifically like a personal experience of mine is, you know, my dad died in 2015. And when we were at the funeral, all of his brothers showed up. His brothers hadn't seen each other since their mom died 20 years before. So now they're all together and I am feeling joy and gratitude as well as grief and sadness. And I'm like, oh gosh, what am I supposed to do with these feelings? Why am I feeling happy right now? I almost forgot we were at a funeral because I'm surrounded by all my family. But then I was like, wait a minute, let me feel all of the joy. Let me feel all of the sadness. Let me do the whole inside out Pixar where it's all of it. It's messy, right? It's not all good. It's not all bad. It's just, it's all of the feelings. And let me feel all those feelings. And that's when I truly felt like I was fully present and fully alive to connect with them in that moment. And I think when we focus just on positivity, we deny that other aspect that we really have to embrace. It's almost like you you don't really understand how to live until you embrace what it means to die. And that's the same thing with all emotions. You have to allow all of them in or, you, or you're denying yourself. And there are people out there that are saying, but my vibe, I'm going to have a low vibe. Fine. Have a low vibe. Like, <laughs> again, that's about your ego. Like I ask right. this a lot of people where, you know, I define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment, where you're fully immersed you know, in the process, you're fully in flow, no anxiety about the, uh, the future, no regrets about the past, but also I consider play the opposite of perfection mm. and, you know, play curiosity is, and play is experimental, right? Mm. Um, perfection is, is ego driven. So when we're like my vibe, that's coming from a place of ego. You're like, I am known on Instagram or clubhouse or TikTok as the you know, happy person, everyone knows me as the happy-go-lucky. What will happen if I post something else? Yeah, what will happen? Why don't you try it out? Just see. Just see posting something else where you're like, I'm not happy today. I know everyone's coming to me for this. And just see what comes because guess what? It's probably going to be a much more exciting ride. And more people are probably going to start gravitating towards you because they can see when you're active and they can see when you're actually being real every and time not, i see and not hash authenticity i hate yeah. Fake yeah. Authenticity. that word kills me now the hashtag high vibes only is the thing that kills me wait that's a real thing oh yeah high vi- oh, hashtag high God. vibes only well and so actually you just touched on something that's important to me and something that i've been wanting to talk about is authenticity especially because most of my work i do do corporate events but a lot of my work focuses on working with female entrepreneurs because i burnt out as an entrepreneur and there's no research about us all the research is about corporations and and everything else um so authenticity is something especially for female entrepreneurs in the online space that's been touted a lot right it's been talked about a lot you've got to be authentic you've got to be authentic and you've got to feel the emotions and you've got to you know you've got to, the highs and the lows and the whatever it happens to be and i think that we're losing the point a little bit 
So I want your take on this. My fear is that we are losing our ability to be real Mm -hmm. and at the same time, our ability to emotionally regulate ourselves in crappy situations so that we can deal with something at a later date, because you're in the middle of a podcast episode, like now's not the best time to scream at your dog or whatever, you know? And so, but it's authentic, you know, like that's how I really felt. So how do you think about the balance between authenticity emotional regulation and the ability to like be real, but also be present for things that you've committed yourself to that require you to be kind of in a, in at least a normal mood. Like if I, somebody's going to pay me $5,000 to talk to 300 of their employees, I can't walk in there like blubbering and then screaming at them, even if that's how I feel that day. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Um, well, I, 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 I forgot who said this to me. I'm trying to look it up, but someone said this to me. It was like, if you're trying to be authentic, I you're not, it's the point. Right. <laughs> like, like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing right now that you're, you know, and, and then people use the excuse of authenticity to be like, you know, to, to whine, you know, or to right. be like, you know, so my thing is, and I recently heard this from a DEI person. I was like, that is running these really hard workshops. And yeah. I do this in my, you know, navigating difficult conversations workshop. It's not about you. When you're going into those places, like if you're bringing that energy or you're, or you yourself have not dealt with your own racism, your own internal issues, and then you go in there, like you're not effective at all. Like, and also you also have to be reading the room. like. I think we've misinterpreted in some ways what vulnerability means, Mm -hmm. right? Like Brene Brown talks about vulnerability and being like, hey, I'm putting, you know, I'm being vulnerable. But when she says it, I feel like she's like, I'm being vulnerable in order to build connection and to share a story that might attach to your story, right? So that we both have a similar story. But I think now people are being vulnerable or using the excuse of being vulnerable to be like, I need therapy right now. So let me hop out this clubhouse room and just start complaining and then being like, everyone love me. Everyone, why are you not loving me? And it's just like, no, that's not actually, because when you're, I, the, the biggest issue is when you're making it about yourself. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, it's like, most people don't care. When, when, we, when we're constantly thinking like, what are people going to think? Guess what? Most people are not thinking about you. They're just not. Just like you're not thinking about them. They might think about you for like 30 seconds, a minute tops, and then they've moved on because everyone is, we're all driven by our ego. And I think the more we are actually showing up, like when you're up on stage, what takes a lot of the nerves away from me when I'm on stage is, is realizing like, my job here is to channel a message. Hmm. It's not even about me again, right? Like yeah, when I yeah. make a video and people laugh, great. But like, it's just me ch- putting something out there. And I just so happen to be lucky enough to be the person that is putting it out there, right? And the more we can actually detach ourselves from that, that's it. But but the faux authenticity and the faux vulnerability is when we really are like, I need therapy 
And I'm now going to make this about me. And that's when it's just soul crushing because then everyone is sitting there being like, what, what are you doing? Like, I can't help you right now. And you've now take, you've now derailed the conversation, yeah. you know, and derailed the meeting where we were all like improving and yes, anding each other. And what you've done is like Michael Scott in the office when he was at his improv show and he just shows up and starts shooting everybody and being like, bang, bang, bang. Now you're all dead because like, you don't want to play. You just want to make it about you. So the thing that comes up for me when you say that is the balance between ego, self-care, and community. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is what I this is kind of what I feel like you are saying, but I would like to clarify and then turn it into a question. So I think what was underneath your words was, you know, like, yes do things that you need to do to feel good within yourself. You know, talk to your inner critic, play with your inner critic. Self-care matters. And also you're not that important at the same time in, in a very, just like, just like I was told, you know, you, you're replaceable. Like this is, you know, somebody else will do this if you don't do it. And at the and in addition to that, your energy matters and how you show up for other people matters. So there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there because that's a it seems like conflicting stuff. Like especially now we talk about self care a lot, right? It's self care is a very big topic. We talk about self care on Fried all the time. And for me, when I'm talking about it, the thing that I'm talking about the most, uh, especially with clients, is how do you have enough boundaries in your life to not overstep your own like energy reserves to help other people that don't really need your help. You don't need to be the one helping because you're sort of empty. And how do you also lean on your community and be a valuable member of your community by being present? Right. Right. So I think you have to be, you have to understand what is driving your decision and you have to be deliberate. Like I'm going to be vulnerable with my friends right now because those are the people that can hold me. Right. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that are going to be for me right now. And, and also being careful about who you're sharing this with, because I think now we've gone from like not sharing to all of a sudden being like oversharing and being like, now I have to share everything with the world because I'm hoping not only that, that, um, people will care for me, but maybe I'll go viral in the, in the process. Like maybe if I cry enough, then I'll, you know, like the world will love me. Um, and we have to be really careful about that. You have to be really careful about who you're sharing what with. Um, and then the second part about it is, especially when you're walking into spaces and I don't know, I've just been on this Elizabeth Gilbert kick recently, I love but, she, her. but she said, she was just, I'm sure you've heard this too. She's like, I want to walk in the room and be the most relaxed person in the room because you just don't see many relaxed women in rooms. Like, why can't I be that? Why can't I be love in the room? And when, again, she's coming from a place of service. So you have to be really clear about why you're doing what you're doing, right? And recently I read this and I'm a people pleaser. I've been a people pleaser for a long time. And and I read someone saying something like, people pleasing is actually not people pleasing. It's people manipulating. Yes. You are, you are trying to manipulate people to like you. 
So then you're going out of your way to help somebody. And I've done this many times where you help someone never asked. They never asked for your help. You're giving them all this stuff. And then finally, when you ask them for help, they don't help you. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe after everything I've done. And it's just like they never asked. Yeah. Well, and even if they did, that's not like even if they did, most of the time they happened. But even if they did. And this is why. I have an online course called the resentment journal because we have to break down to me. We find where we've crossed our own boundaries mm-hmm. when we look at where resentment is popping up. But you said something else important that I, oh, I want to circle back to. I hate when people say that. And I just said that circle back to, it's like such a, well, let's just get synergistic just- right now. And let's, uh, <laughs> let's disrupt the podcast. <laughs> so, You said being of service. This is an area that is an extremely slippery slope because this can be used as an excuse to Uh overgive people, please. I'm just being of service. But then you have to pay me to help you because you are burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. So how do it? Are we again going back to the aparigraha, right? The detachment. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's partly detachment, but it's also, why are you being of service? Are you being of service from a place of ego where you are like, I want to matter right now? Right, but who's going to be on it? Like people that think that they're being of service don't think that they're doing it from ego. Like it takes me sometimes hours of calls with somebody to be like, by the way, this thing that you thought was really kind was actually manipulation. But you can you can figure it out simply by asking the five whys, right? Just okay, go. A, just ask the five whys. Okay, I'm helping this person right now. You know, uh, I don't know, get pressed for something. Why are you doing that? Um, because you know they they need it. Well, why why do you need to be the one doing it? Uh, well, they're really important. Well, what do you mean they're really important? Oh, they have a lot of followers. Okay. Well, why would that matter to you? I don't, because I want a lot of followers. <laughs> like, you know, you know, like, like just ask yourself five why questions to, and you can do it right then and there, you know, without anyone else helping you. And you can figure it out pretty quickly that, you know, why are you doing this? You know, or when you're asking the five why questions, you're like, what you just said, I'm making this burnout podcast because I feel like I need to make it for me. Like when I make my videos, I don't make them for anybody else. I'm just making them for my own sanity. And if someone else benefits, great. But it's just like, it's not about, just like, just like, it's not about me. It's not about you. I'm making these for videos for me. You know, Gilbert said that when she was just like, you know, I made, I made uh, what was it? She goes, I wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And all these people followed me. And then I wrote another book and no, and no one cared, you know, but like it was fine because again, I'm writing these books for me first. So we just have to like, just be more honest with ourselves and be willing to ask the harder question. You know, is it my inner critic right now? Is it me? You know, what is actually really, what is really driving me, you know? And then if you don't know, I, I, I talk about this a lot, like, you know, when you, you can't play while you're in an anxiety ridden state, you can't play Mm -hmm. when you're angry, you can't play when you're fearful. 
So what you need to do, and I learned this from my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, is you need to actually soothe yourself. You have to calm yourself down and you adopt your nervous system from the person that took care of you the most. So how they soothe themselves is how you will actually soothe yourself. And only when you are able to soothe yourself, you know, and I soothe myself by taking a shower, going on a walk, dancing in costume in my house, doing something ridiculous. But whatever that thing that calms and soothes you, after you do that, then you allow yourself to get bored, which is like, don't inundate yourself with Netflix. Don't inundate yourself with social media. And when I say that, like, I'm talking about not being on there for 30 minutes to an hour. And if you're like, I don't have enough time. And you're just like, you're on your phone four hours a day. You can be on there. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> Because think about it, all that information is telling you, you get more information in a day than most people got in the 1950s in a year. And most of that information is telling you you're not enough. You need to buy more Amazon stuff and just all this stuff that's coming at you, right? Um, but, you know, circling back to why I, I brought this up in the first place is you have to understand that when you allow yourself to get quiet, and you then play, then you realize what's dr actually driving you. Most of the time, we don't allow ourselves to get bored because we don't want to hear those thoughts. We don't want to know what's actually driving us. Like we want to believe that we're the hero in our own story. And then, and we keep the noise constantly on my laptops going on, the TV's going on, the phone's going on so that I don't have to ask myself, why am I trying to please this person right now? You know, because when you find that out, then you actually start to make the shift that you've been wanting to make. Yeah, I love the I love five why questions. I think that's an excellent tool, a simple tool, an impactful tool, an excellent tool. And I love the image of, I mean, I'm, I'm so guilty of this. You know, when I'm overwhelmed with something, I turn on Netflix and- uh -huh and read my phone at the same, like how same many, time. how many inputs do you actually need? Maybe I'll cook too, in order to be sure that I'm extra preoccupied with other things. Isn't that crazy too? Because yes. what we're doing is we're in an anxiety ridden state and then we put on Netflix that <laughs> has their own like, and then we watch like the Ozarks or some horrible show <laughs> that's providing more anxiety. Like, and the person was murdered and you're like, ooh, I want to hear more about murder. And then you're on your phone looking at CNN. By the way, you know, you're 20% more less productive when you start your day with news, yeah. you know, because it frames your mind in a negative way. And then we go cook and then guess what? We spill something and then we feel crappy about ourselves. And we're like, I'm a horrible cook. I can't do anything right. It's just like, well, no wonder we're burning out, right? Like, yeah. like we've, we've added all this more pressure on ourselves. Yeah. Of just and we can't like, keep up with- Hell, dude, just chill. Yeah. And we can't keep up with the technology. We don't realize, I think, that I'm, I was born in 82. So I'm like the very, like the beginning or the end of whatever way you're looking at it, the millennial cusp, you know? Right. And so I grew up in, in the analog and digital worlds. I had both, you know? Me too. Right. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in this place that straddles. Like when I got to college, most people had laptops already. Like that was a uh -huh. thing. But, you know, when I was in fifth grade, we had floppy disks and Oregon uh -huh. Trail. And when I was in third grade, computers uh -huh. didn't really exist, you know? Did I forward the river or not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you just got cholera. Um, 
So, so I, I grew up in this sort of in between space and I did a lot of sports when I was younger. So I was a gymnast, I was, and, and I was a competitive gymnast. So mm. we're talking 10 to 12 hours a week, even at a young age in the gym, conditioning, practicing, whatever it was. So I had a lot of time, um, outside of screens and things. And I was always really attracted to TV. Like I, I like TV, but my mother would not let me stay there. So even right. if I had come home from gymnastics and I put something on, she would be like, go outside, you know? So I had yeah. a lot of playtime, a lot of outside time, a lot of exercise. And when I, this goes to what you were saying before, like how you soothe yourself, mm-hmm. you know, for me, if I go for a walk and the only thing I do is go for a walk, of course, you know, maybe my dog is with me. Maybe she isn't either way, but if I go for a walk and don't look at my phone, so my only, the only thing that I'm doing is going for a walk. I have 700 ideas of like what I could do, interesting things, you know, like there's just enough space that I can actually create again. Exactly. Right. Right. And because you're, you, you've now soothed yourself and now you've allowed yourself to be bored. Like I ask your listeners, when was the last time you were bored? Right. And then, and then recently I heard this, which really like kind of scared me, but it was like, how do you celebrate your wins? Mm. Right. And then how do you, and then also what is your coping mechanism? So if you celebrate your wins by buying stuff from Amazon, and then also your coping mechanism is buying <laughs> stuff from Amazon or binge watching Netflix and binge, then it's like, whoa, we got to also look at that as well. Because it's like, dude, it's so layered, man. Yeah. It's so freaking layered. And then on top of that, then you have all of your inner critics. I mean, you know, got to go back to Gilbert. She was just like, my full-time job is my mental health. And then I write on the side, right? Like that makes sense. That's the only way we actually can be successful is to be focusing a lot on our mindset and taking care of ourselves, you know, instead. And, And mind you, like, a lot of this is such first world problems with like, oh my gosh, I got all this work and anxiety and Netflix and all these. But this is our reality. You know, like, yeah, this is ours. But then when I'm like in the Caribbean with my cousins and they're like chilling, they have something known as liming, which is they literally drink in one place and then they go to the next place and drink in another place. And then they go to the next <laughs> place. And I'm telling them about my first world problems. And they're like, you need to chill, man. Maybe you just need to have some of this. Like you need to just like smoke some of this and just relax. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like yeah. as important as you are, you also are not that important. And just yeah. like, you know, at the end of the, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to tell the whole story, but it was that, I think you've heard this story about the fisherman and the corporate guy. Have you heard that story? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, I'll tell you the really short version. Basically, this corporate guy who has like millions of dollars flies to like, I think Brazil, you know, and oh, yeah. he okay, goes yeah. out on the, you know, pond with the fisherman <laughs> and the fisherman's just like, you know, I, I fish and I hang out with my family all day. And the, the corporate guy's just like, no, 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 no. What you need to do is you need to, you know, upsell and you need to get hire more people to buy fish because then you can have a fishery and then you can get a bunch of money. And then after all you do all that stuff, then you can retire. And then it would be like, well, what would you do when you retire corporate guy? And the corporate guy, I would sit on the beach and fish and hang out with my family. He's just like, I already do that. You know? So it's just like, we just, 
you know, we, we really forget that in America so much. Well, and we I also forget our- that here because we don't have um, any sort of safety in old age. Yeah, yeah, we don't have a we don't have a secure enough system that will ensure that we have healthcare, sure. finances, any of those things. Like after you know, I spent twelve years in Europe, and it's much much different. Yeah, right now, what since moving back to the states, my main concern is creating a, a really hefty retirement fund, uh-huh. and not, a lot of people don't have to do that. Well, yeah, same and- way. Yeah, right. Because when I think of like where are all the centurions, people that are above the age of 100, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, they're in like places in Greece, in Italy, in Okinawa. Yeah. And what is it? They have a support system. Yeah. They have family, you know, like elders are actually watched out for instead right. of like put in a little like home somewhere to like, you know, just wait and die. So I think we, if we want to cultivate that, we have to be cultivating not just like our bank accounts, right? But also cultivating the community that's also going to watch out for us because that also really helps with our own mental health. And I don't think we invest enough in that and invest yeah. enough in our community connections because studies find people that live the longest have really strong relationships, really yeah. deep connections. Yeah. Yes, that's true. All right. We are running up on an hour real fast here. This that happened. Fun. Yeah, it was. That happened really fast. We did some really important things today. Talked about some really important things. We repeated a couple of things that we say on the podcast a lot. So I love that. And there were some new things that you brought up that I'm I'm happy that people will be able to hear and hopefully absorb in a slightly different way than um, than normal. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Can I say one other thing? Yes. So so this is actually a really good thing when you're not just burnt out, but you've like kind of forgotten who you are. Like you mm-hmm. forgot, like you're in a rut and you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. So I, I suggest this with a lot of my clients. It's like one of the first things we do is I ask them to reach out to three to five of their closest friends. Mm-hmm. And I ask them to ask these two questions. Um, what value do I bring to your life? Because I think a lot of times we forget what value we bring to people's lives. Like, why are we friends? And what value do I bring to your life? And then also, when have you seen me most alive? And the same way of asking is like, when have you seen me most playful, most creative, most myself? And that second question is based off the Howard Thurman quote, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. So what value do I bring to your life? And when have you seen me come most alive? And when you hear the answers, oh, the love, the appreciation, (laughs) and you write it all down and you're like, oh, my goodness, that is how I bring value. That is how I make impact. That is what makes me come alive. And you get those reminders from your friends. And then you reach back out to your friends and you're like, help me to play more in these ways. It's such an amazing way in which you can remind yourself by having your friends sing your song back to you. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I do in the world. And then you can just go off and follow that magical adventure and see where your curiosity takes you. Your curiosity and your play. And your play. And your play. Jeff, thank you so much. That was a blast for me. I can't wait to get this episode out. I know people will love it and get so much from it. I'm so grateful that you took the time, Mr. Top 100 HR Influencers. Um, Thank you. 
Just thank you. This was awesome. I loved it. All right, Fried fans, we are wrapping up another episode. We love your shares, your comments, your follows, and all the good things that lets us know that we are doing the things that you need that help you, that get you a little bit further away from burnout every single week. All of Jeff's contact info will be in the show notes. Also, there will be lots of notes about Elizabeth Gilbert. So if you want to tag her in this episode and let her know how much we talked about her, that would be amazing. Until next time.